So what we want to do today is just look simply at what happens when relationships go bad and how we can respond to that. Let me just start by asking you this. Has anybody never had any conflict in any relationship ever in your life? Just raise your hand if you don't mind. Yeah, you can go straight to heaven. Well done. You can graduate top of the class. I mean, we all have. I mean, this is inevitable that conflict occurs. There can sometimes be this assumption within Christian circles that the goal of a Christian life is to to be conflict-free. You know, that victorious Christian living is somehow about getting rid of all the conflict and just having these harmonious relationships. In reality, I mean, honestly, unless you live in Disneyland, that is just never going to be the case. It's just not. Conflict is normal. It is na- we've got to disabuse ourselves of this notion that we can get to some ideal life where our relationships are all just humming away. Conflict's normal. It's going to happen. It is going to come. Your, if you're not in a conflict situation right now with someone, chances are you have been or you will be before too long. And we've got to accept this. It's like, take the pressure off yourself for feeling weird when this stuff happens. It is just so normal. And the important thing is really how we respond to the conflict situation. Because conflict can be healthy. It really all comes down to how you respond. Let me just share with you one story. Uh, this is from a woman in our church who's, who's gone through a conflict situation recently. And I know you've all got various stories you could share, but here's just one. And this is, she, she's writing this. She says, I'm a registered nurse. One day I was cleaning up a trolley after a doctor when I pricked my finger on a used syringe needle that he had left out behind a saline container. It's hospital policy that the person using needles removes their needles after use. I immediately went and told another nurse about the incident. I also told the doctor who had left the needle out that it's not okay to leave sharps. I told him that I was happy to clean up his trolleys, but that he needed to remove his needles. The doctor left the room and continued to see patients. Following that incident, another doctor, who was also the wife of the doctor who had used the trolley, informed me that it was my responsibility to look out for needles and emphasized that I needed to be more careful. The doctor who had used the trolley hardly spoke to me for the rest of the day. The next day I told the manager about the story and said I was disappointed with the way both the doctor and his wife had handled the incident. Eventually the doctor met with me and apologized for not clearing his needles. I was relieved that he'd apologized and seemed willing to move on, but my relationship with that doctor was strained from then on. After the incident, the doctor appeared to be distant and would often not greet me unless I said hello first. I felt that the incident was made out to be my problem rather than his somehow. In an appraisal with his wife and the manager, I was told that the doctor had said I acted like I didn't want to be there, and I was asked if I thought I'd be better suited working in a different type of team. That's a tough situation. But, you know, we could pass the mic around this morning and we could all regale each other with stories like that because you've all got them. Stories of of friendships that have gone sour, of uh, words that have been said to you maybe that have cut really deep and wounds have been made and scars that aren't healing, maybe family relationships that have taken some strain, that have come under some real tension in your life at times, maybe a marriage relationship that's busted up or has become really fractured and unstable. Stories of things that have been done and words that have been said and responses that weren't healthy and relationships that are now just memories and don't have a healthy functioning existence anymore. We've all got those stories. 
And uh, sometimes you can see it coming, you know, you can see conflict coming sometimes. You see the storm clouds gathering, but other times it just hits you eh? out of the blue. The relationship's great, it's going along, and then the next day, bang, it's all over, and you just find yourself embroiled in this complete mess. You don't know how to respond, and you're caught up in something that seems like it's come from nowhere. The critical thing is how you respond when conflict strikes. It's going to happen. The key is how we deal with it and how we respond. If you think about general responses to conflict situations and relationships, they kind of fall along a a continuum. If you think about a continuum, at one end, you've got these responses to conflict that we could call flight. These terms are familiar to you. Flight. This is where we withdraw from the conflict, we retreat from the conflict, we get out of the situation. It might just be through leaving the room, it might be through leaving town, it might be through leaving the country. Uh, the most extreme form of flight is suicide, where, where the conflict is so serious, we just we cannot and will not deal with it, and we end our life. That's an extreme form of the flight response to conflict. When Anna and I were dating, when we were teenagers, I'm ashamed to tell you this, but I was, I was a chronic sulker. I was just a very sulky person. It's pretty embarrassing. I don't know why she stuck with me, but we would have these arguments, and I would just go off and mope. I'd just be sulking someplace by myself. And the thing is, for me, you might be like this. I know you wouldn't admit it, but you might be a sulker. And it's, it's not just that you, you don't want to deal with the conflict. It ends up being a form of trying to punish the other person, you know, because you're actually trying to get a response, and you're trying to withdraw emotion and attention and time from that person as a way of punishing them. That's really what flight is about. It's not always just, I'm too scared of the conflict and don't want to deal with it. It's, I'm leaving this situation and I'm, I'm not talking to you or dealing with you because that's a way of punishing you. It's passive aggressive behavior. So I'm kind of this natural flight person from conflict. And I'd like to think I've got over my sulking now, but that was a pretty bad episode in our relationship, the whole sulking season. <laughs> On the other side of the continuum, you have these responses called fight. All right, now some of your eyes are lighting up here. Fight. This is where you roll up your sleeves and you have your top 10 arguments of why the other person's wrong. You've also got your top 10 counter arguments for their arguments, how they're going to respond to your arguments. You go in, you've got your weaponry all there, you've got a few grenades to throw and you are ready to do battle. Again, there's a huge range here from attacking words to attacking actions, violence, abuse, and ultimately murder. Homicide is the most extreme form of flight, of, of fight in regard to conflict. So you have these two extreme responses, suicide and homicide, and then within those a whole big range of ways that you and I respond to these times when relationships go bad. Now, let's just take a little straw poll here. Hands up, if, if somewhere on that continuum, you, you tend to, as a default response, you tend to respond to conflict situations with flight, with, with retreating more than, more than fighting. Hands up, if you're a flight, naturally a flight person. Yeah, okay, all right. Some of you, a little bit scared to admit it in case it leads to conflict. Yeah, I know. Um, all right, hands up, hands up if you are naturally a fight person down there. <laughs> oh, okay. Rolling up your sleeves, you guys are ready to... Looking around, make sure everyone else knows that you're a fight person, just, just in case they're going to pick a battle with you. Yeah. So we kind of, we're, we're somewhere on this continuum. We tend to have a typical response and then maybe a, a, a few ranges, a bit of variation within that. All right, what I want to do briefly this morning is just map out for you a few responses, a few biblical responses to conflict that sit somewhere around the middle of this whole fight-flight 
scale. And I want to call these responses peacemaking responses. Ways in which we can, rather than just going for flight or fight, we can be peacemakers. And the, the idea of peacemaking comes from a verse in James 3.17, which says, The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That word peace comes from an old Hebrew word, shalom. And shalom describes not just inner feelings of peace, and not even just peace between two people, it describes a whole state of affairs characterized by peace, a whole world that is at peace. Shalom is a huge concept, not, not, just, not just world peace in the sense that beauty pageants talk about world peace, but world peace with God in the center, where humanity's relationships with God are fully reconciled and just working right, and where our relationships with one another are characterized by mutual respect and mutual dignity and mutual delight and mutual love. That's shalom on a broad scale. And that is not just a pipe dream. That's a world that God's going to establish. That's a world God's going to bring about one day when Jesus returns. There will be shalom upon the earth because God is a God of peace. And he has taken a huge step towards establishing that shalom by entering into shalom with us through the cross. Romans 5.10 says that while we were God's enemies, God reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. You and I existed in this state of enmity towards God, this state of hostility towards him. We were God's enemies. You weren't just sort of on, not on speaking terms. You weren't just slightly estranged from him. You, you were his enemies. We were utterly separated from God, and God has taken a huge step toward us through the cross, through the giving of His Son, through the dying and rising of Christ. He has reconciled us to Himself. God has made shalom with us. God has made peace. He's brought us near. Ephesians 2 talks about us being brought near to God. We've become friends of God. We have become fully reconciled to God, those of us who have leaned into that relationship with Jesus. And now God asks us, as those who have received shalom, as those who have been made, given peace with God, that we become bearers of shalom in the world, that we become bringers of peace into relationships, especially those relationships we have with others that go bad, that we would bring a little piece of shalom, a little taste of God's shalom. God didn't make peace with you just so that you could be united to Him. He, he made peace with you so that you could then be a bearer of shalom to others. And as you do that, you're bringing a little glimpse, a little taste, a little sign of God's future shalom into the present. So three ways in which we can practice shalom, in which we can practice peacemaking day to day in our relationships when they go bad. The first might sound a bit unusual. It's overlooking. Overlooking. This might sound to you like it's just flight. Like overlooking is just getting out. Aren't we supposed to not overlook stuff? We're supposed to deal with stuff. But listen to the words of Proverbs 19.11. little proverb about the, the beauty of overlooking offenses. Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields great patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So there is a glory and there is an appropriateness sometimes in overlooking something that's been done to you. If words have been said to you, if stuff's been done, if actions have been taken, 
that in the big scheme of things really aren't significant enough that they need to be dealt with face to face. If the wounds that have been caused really don't threaten the relationship, if the thing is not major enough that it's putting the relationship under strain, then the most appropriate response, the most biblical response, may be overlooking. Overlooking doesn't mean you ignore it. It doesn't mean you pretend it didn't happen. This is not sweeping it under the rug. In fact, overlooking is a form of forgiveness. Overlooking requires your forgiveness. What it means is that you acknowledge the fact that there's been damage done, that you have been offended, but you choose, rather than dealing with that issue face to face, you choose to simply forgive the person and move on. Now, this is for things, again, that don't really threaten your relationship, reasonably minor offenses. And I know there's always a bit of a subjective judgment call here, but there are times when overlooking is the best response, and you don't need to have a big conversation and work it all out. Sometimes you just forgive them. But it doesn't mean passive-aggressive behavior. It doesn't mean punishing them by emotional withdrawal. It means genuinely forgiving the person and genuinely entering back into shalom with them, being able to move on, being able to treat them with love, being able to show respect, being able to treat them politely. And if you can't do that, if you don't feel like you can do that, it's just too difficult, that's probably a good sign that overlooking is not the right response, that it's more serious than that. But sometimes overlooking is the right way to go. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, a second response is intervention. Because there are times when things are done and things are said that are so serious that you need a third party to come in and take action, or you need to physically remove yourself from the situation. If you are, for example, the victim of domestic abuse, the best response to that situation for you is not overlooking, and it's not reconciliation. It is getting out. It is physically getting out of that situation and getting the police involved and getting to women's refuge and making sure you and your kids are safe. And ha- It is not your priority to enter into this reconciling, negotiating. If you are in danger, if there is physical abuse, invo- if someone is breaking the law, you need intervention. At that, now, reconciliation may come later. You may be able to sit down with the person later on. If someone commits a crime against you, you might be able to, down the track, sit down face-to-face and work things out. But that's not your immediate response. Your immediate response is intervention. Your immediate response is to get someone or some authority involved or to get yourself out of that situation for your own welfare and your own safety. If you've got, if you've got an employee that commits fraud... You may reconcile with them, but that doesn't mean they keep their job. If someone physically abuses you, you might down the track be able to restore fellowship with them, but it doesn't mean you don't get the authorities involved. See, shalom, this might sound like this is just too difficult and too harsh, but shalom does not tolerate wrongdoing. Please don't hear me saying that. Shalom is not being a doormat. Peacemaking is not just letting other, other people walk all over you. That's not what Jesus did on the cross. He absorbed evil, evil, but the cross confronts wickedness. The cross confronts evil in the world. It does not tolerate it. It does not just look the other way at wrongdoing. And please don't feel that getting out of an abusive situation is somehow a form of just weakness and flight. It's not. It takes real strength to get yourself out of a situation where you are in danger. So if it's serious enough, don't feel like you just have to take it and pretend it's not happening. Intervention might be required. 
Now, there's a third way. If something's been done to you, if you're in a situation and it's serious enough that you can't just overlook it, but it's not so serious that it requires immediate third-party intervention, then the biblical way is the way of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Let me read you some, some words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift. It's incredible to me how many times Christians are quite prepared to walk away from relationships that are in tatters and quite prepared just to leave relationships estranged and fractured, severed with huge tension and do nothing about it. It's amazing to me the number of times Christians are unwilling to come to the table and talk, unwilling to enter into discussions, unwilling to sit down and have a conversation. We just walk away. We just bail or we just have aggressive attacking behaviors that do no constructive good. Reconciliation is so critical. Listen, Jesus links our worship of God to our willingness to reconcile with our brother or sister. He says, if you're coming to worship God, if you're bringing a gift to an altar and you have something against another person or someone has something against you, you leave your gift there. You interrupt your worship of God and you go and sort it out with that person because you cannot think it's okay just to carry on this relationship with God, this vertical relationship and not care about what's happening here on the horizontal plane. These things are so intimately connected, our relationship with one another and our relationship with the Lord. And we cannot be full and proper worshippers of God if we're prepared to leave relationships estranged that we need to take a step of reconciliation. We've got to be prepared to go. We've got to be prepared to talk to one another. We've got to be prepared to work some things out. Now let me give you just a simple definition of reconciliation. Reconciliation is your honest effort to restore shalom, to restore peace with the other person by talking the issue through directly with them. Now notice the goal of shalom, the goal of reconciliation, is to restore shalom. Doesn't mean you're going to be best friends again. I think some people shy away from this because they assume that reconciliation means I've got to become best buddies with the person, hang out with them all the time, go to the movies, write them Christmas cards again. You know, if I restore, like we're going to be this intimate friendship again. It doesn't mean that. I had a friendship with a guy a few years ago and I felt that he, he did some things and broke some promises that really betrayed trust, really broke trust. And our relationship was totally, totally messed up because of it. And we went through this process of reconciling. We sat down. We had another person involved. We sat down. We talked things through. And, and we genuinely reconciled. We're able to wish each other well. We, we gave and received forgiveness together. Will I trust him again? No. Will I take his word for things easily again? No. And that's okay. Because reconciliation doesn't mean reunion doesn't mean you're going to be best friends. doesn't mean you'll necessarily trust the person again. Sometimes things are said and trust is violated and it takes a long time to re-earn that trust. Do not feel that reconciling with someone suddenly means just taking them back as if nothing had happened. What it means is the restoring of shalom. 
the restoring of peace. It means that you're willing to sit down and have an honest conversation with them about the issues. To get things out on the table, to talk directly, to say the difficult words and hear the difficult words. It means that you're willing to give forgiveness genuinely and you're willing to receive forgiveness genuinely. It means you're willing to put aside hostility and enmity and bitterness and bury the hatchet, wish each other well, and move on. Now, you may get further than that. I mean, Lord willing, you may be able to completely restore the relationship. Sometimes you have a marriage that's gone through an incredibly tough patch. Husband, there might, might have been an affair or something's happened. It's amazing. Couples can work through that stuff, and the marriage is better than when it was before because there's a new openness, and there's a new vulnerability, and there's just this new intimacy that's forged through the conflict. And you may be able to get there, but don't put that goal in front of yourself as if it's a realistic expectation in every conflict situation. And don't put it in front of yourself in a way that holds you back from pursuing shalom because you think that's where I've got to get to. Reconciliation doesn't always mean full reunion. It just means restoring peace, giving and receiving forgiveness and burying the hatchet, putting aside the enmity, putting aside the hostility. I think, honestly, the single most important thing I can say about reconciliation is that it takes personal presence. It it, it means being face-to-face. There are many, many good uses for email, many good uses for texting and blogging and Facebook messaging and Twittering. But can I just tell you, the conflict resolution is not one of them. It is not one of them. You've got to be face-to-face. I know it's difficult. I know some of you already, you've already got the sweaty palms just thinking about this. This is not fun. No one finds it pleasant. Maybe some of you do, but that's a minority. This is not easy, but personal presence is so important. You know, researchers estimate that up to 80% of what you communicate is non-verbal. In other words, it's your body language, it's your tone of voice. So think about that next time you send an email. When you send an email the person receiving that email is receiving probably less than half of what you're actually saying because they're not hearing the way you're saying it. They're not hearing the nuance. They're not hearing the inflection. They're not hearing the attitude. They're not seeing your body language. They're just receiving this, these letters on a screen. You've got to be face-to-face. Do not deal. There's a good chance if you choose to deal with conflict by texting or by emailing, you will actually make the situation worse. Because the, the, the potential for miscommunication is so high. You've got to be face-to-face. Send a text, but just in order to set up a meeting. Drink some strong coffee if you have to, but meet together. Be face-to-face. Be personally present. Because what happens is when you sit down with someone and you, you're across the table from them and you get those beady eyes in front of you, that person becomes a little bit more human, don't they? As long as they're just a a cell phone number, as long as they're just at the end of an email address or they're a Facebook account, they're a little bit less human. They're a bit more distant. And I'll tell you the other thing that starts to happen then is it's a bit easier to be quite harsh because we'll type things we wouldn't say and we'll text things that we wouldn't say. But I've never had a situation when I've sat down face to face with somebody and not come away understanding a little bit more of where they're coming from. Haven't always agreed, hasn't always gone well, but I've always gained something, 
some ability to enter into their experience, to see where they're coming from, to hear a bit of their story, to try and get around the other side of the table and just see what's going on in their world. This is the beauty of being face-to-face. You're acknowledging the person's humanity as someone who was made in the image of God and who is not infinitely unlike you. Yes, they might have blown it. Yes, they might have offended you. Yes, you might be thoroughly ticked off. But at the end of the day, they are a broken human being just like you. And being face-to-face with someone just helps us be a little bit more willing to give some grace and give some forgiveness and maybe in turn see some things that we might need forgiving for ourselves. So if you're in the middle of this at the moment, if you've got some relationship that's gone bad, please, 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 please take the time to get face-to-face with that person. Hear from them. And you've got to go into this not with the goal of winning, but with the goal of restoring, with the goal of restoring shalom. Not to try and win an argument, not to try and prove to them why you're right and counter all their counter-arguments, but simply to restore the relationship. That's your goal. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to go into a lot of the stuff that you might say and might do in those conciliatory conversations, but we are running in a couple of weeks a peacemakers seminar. There's an organization called Resolve, and they're coming in to do a whole day, in fact, a Friday night and a Saturday, all about how you can be a peacemaker, how you can work your way through these conversations. They'll go into the stuff I've talked about this morning in a lot more depth and help you with some particular skills and tools to to navigate those conversations. So get into that. And even if you're not in a conflict situation at the moment, you will be soon. So sign up. A couple of weeks' time, it's all happening. That's right, conflict's coming your way. It's going to happen. But let me just say one last thing to you. There are times when you can earnestly pursue reconciliation and it still doesn't happen. You notice the way that I worded that definition. Reconciliation is your honest effort to restore shalom. But reconciliation ultimately takes two people. Forgiveness takes one, but reconciliation takes two. And there are times, despite a genuine attempt and genuine love, And genuine forgiveness, the other person is just not willing. And your efforts are met with resistance or hostility or just silence. And that is not your fault. That is not your fault. I had another relationship, another mate a few years ago that I had a huge falling out with. Biggest relational mess in my life, honestly. Just this huge blow up over some things that were said. And we had one conversation that was really rough and really awful and things were said that just weren't, weren't good. And I, I'm, I'm not at all saying that I dealt perfectly in this situation because I didn't. There were things that I could have done better. But what was so difficult is that this guy was never willing to talk. He, was just, he just would not sit down. And I know I need forgiveness as much as I need to ask for it. But we never had, I never had the opportunity because he wouldn't sit down. He wouldn't talk, he just shut it off. Conversation's over. Just ignored emails, ignored attempts to try and meet face to face. And honestly, even today, I've got a heavy heart because of that. Because I know there's someone out there that I'm estranged from. And that is not a nice feeling. But what is most important is that before the Lord, you have made an honest effort to reconcile, that you've tried to initiate the conversation, you've tried to ask for the forgiveness, 
You've tried to seek the opportunity. You've gone into it with the right attitude. And if it's met with resistance, if it's met with silence, God's not going to hold you responsible for that. You've got to lift the burden. Some of you are just feeling guilty for a relationship that's in tatters, but it's not your fault. You should not feel guilty. You must not feel condemned if you've genuinely pursued reconciliation and it's not coming the other way. You can just let that go. You can leave that with the Lord. Maybe down the track there'll be an opportunity, who knows, but you can leave that with the Lord and you can sleep well at night knowing that you have a clean heart before him and you have taken the steps that he has asked you to take. It's up to us to pursue it, but it's going to take two to restore that relationship in the end. If God has embraced his enemies on the cross, can we not turn to our enemies, turn to those who antagonize us, who have wounded us and who have hurt us and extend to them the same grace, the same peace, the same shalom that God has extended to us. May we be people who are peacemakers, who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for restoring peace with us. We thank you for the shalom that you have made, even while we were your enemies. Give us the courage and the strength to make shalom with others, especially with those that we're finding it difficult to relate to this morning. In Christ's name. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.